Hello, my name is Rob Edwards and this, it's only my podcast. Welcome back one and all, it has been a jolly long time I know and I apologise for it. I am very keen that I'm going to get you a podcast every month for the next at least three or four months. So um, stand by your beds for further podcast action I guess. Today I have a full length proper story for you to listen to in celebration of the release of the upcoming Inklings Press anthology, Tales from the Pirate Cove. I'm going to be reading my story from that anthology for you today to enjoy. Uh, And if you do enjoy it, then think about picking up our book. 11 more stories, just as good, if not better, uh, available for you uh, in that anthology. Uh, That's going to be available August the 14th. So you've got a couple of weeks uh, to save up the, I don't know, £3 it is, I think, Uh, to buy that uh, from Amazon uh, in Kindle format. Uh, It will be available in paperback as well. Um, So yeah, uh, just uh, that's that's really exciting. This book has been a really long time coming. World events have actually very much played a part uh, in delaying the production of this uh, this, uh, anthology. Uh, But we are back on track now and we are looking forward to getting this book out uh, for people to enjoy. Uh, So, as I say, coming up uh, is my reading of my story from this book. It's called Boarding School, and it's uh, a sci-fi pirate, so it's pirates in space. Uh, The book itself has a lot more uh, traditional pirates, but also fantasy pirates, more space pirates, some time pirates, and a couple of stories which are just jolly weird. Um, And I love it. I'm really proud of this book, and I hope you'll love it too. Uh, But before we get to uh, the reading for Pirate's Cove, uh, I do need to talk just very quickly about a book which is coming out two weeks after Tales from the Pirate's Cove, uh, and that is my book. My book, The Ascension Machine, is coming out on the 1st of September. It is a full-length novel. It's a science fiction superhero adventure aimed at young adults, I guess, but I reckon most people uh, who are into science fiction and or superheroes would probably get a kick out of it. So whatever your, whatever your age, don't be limited uh, by that sort of YA label on it. Uh, so that is coming out really soon. I couldn't be more excited about it. I've got um, some interviews coming up on various blogs uh, and on another podcast. Uh, if you follow my author page or my Twitter, at uh, StoryCastRob, or facebook.com slash storycastrob, then uh, you'll be able to find out when those are coming out as well. Uh, The first one coming out, actually coming out, I think on the same day as Pirate's Cove, uh, is uh, uh, an in-character interview of the protagonist of The Ascension Machine uh, on Asif Mars' blog. Uh, And that was quite a fun little exercise. Anyway, so two books for you to buy, (laughs) your, your homework for this podcast You didn't think there was going to be homework on a podcast, but jolly well is this time. Your homework for this podcast is to go off and find yourself copies of Tales from the Pirate Cove and uh, The Ascension Machine. Uh, So if you like short stories, Pirate's Cove. If you like novels, uh, then Ascension Machine. If you just like my writing, both. Both would work. So enough of me plugging stuff. Time to get on to the story for today. So here we go. Here is Boarding School by me, Rob Edwards. Boarding School by Rob Edwards Daniel expected the suit to be old, but it wasn't. 
Heavy, awkward and low-tech, yes, but as he sealed the helmet latches and took his first whiff of the bottled air, there was no stale smell left by previous occupants. That can't have been cheap. There were thirty of them suiting up, and if all the suits were fresh, that represented quite an investment. Thirty new recruits to the independent crews of the Star Ranger. Thirty new suits. It was the sort of thing which might have worried him, if he weren't well past that already. Reflexively, Daniel dipped his chin to bring up the suit's computer, but nothing happened. There was no heads-up display, no automated controls of any kind. He was basically wearing an airtight bag with an O2 cylinder attached. Even the pressure control was a manual valve on the chest plate. What the hell? Daniel turned to check the seals on the suit next to him. Another habit that she'd probably hide. The recruiter had been very clear they were looking for people wanting their first step on the space operations career path, not someone with ten years' experience in the shipyards like him. That had been the first alarm bell. But he'd concentrated on Carol and the baby, pushed the warning aside. It was easy to pretend you didn't know something. Easy until muscle memory kicked in anyway. He couldn't see his shipmate's face. The visors were all tinted a golden hue. Daniel had been too distracted to see who'd been standing next to him when they'd filed into the launch bay, but it hardly mattered. He'd made no friends among the other recruits. They seemed a surly bunch. Still, Daniel confirmed the seal on his neighbour's helmet. Habit was stronger than indifference. The only advantage to these suits that Daniel could see, if you could call it an advantage, they were so simple, there was almost nothing to go wrong with them. No external controls to nudge, no exposed cables to dislodge or propellant tubing to snag. If they stayed clear of anything that would tear the suit fabric itself, even complete novices couldn't wreck these suits. Checking their suit reminded Daniel to attach the comm cable. The suit had a speaker and microphone, but no radio. Comms were wired while aboard ship and unavailable outside. The suit fabric creaked as Daniel reached up to the ceiling and pulled down the connector, plugging in the socket on the side of his helmet. Simple salvage operation. It was a woman's voice, the recruiter Aja, piped in from elsewhere aboard ship. On occasion we have encountered other salvagers and disputes can ensue. Therefore on this trip, for your safety and convenience, we are authorising the use of personal protection equipment. If you check the locker to the left of your assigned launch tube, Daniel pulled open the panel and swore. A sword. He pulled it from the locker, drew the blade enough to see that it was hardened glass, tinted gold like the suit visors. A sword. This was the first EVA, the first suit work for most of this group, and they were handing out sharps? As long as the sword stayed in their sheaths, they should be safe. Nobody need risk holding their suits. Daniel looked along the line. One of the others brandished their blade, waving it around in mock dueling. Fantastic. There was a clip on the suit belt. Against his better judgment, Daniel fastened the sword scabbard to it. Now, the cheery woman's voice continued, I'd like to loop in our exo, who has some last-minute briefing updates. Mr. Sifo, your job is simple. Even green dogs like you couldn't mess it up. Sifo joined the channel, his voice sounding like the ragged rattle of an air car with a crumpled exhaust tube. Get over to the wreck, get into the airlocks, establish a presence, and engage with any rival crew. A team with specialized salvage gear, 
will follow up once we've established it's secure. Don't break anything valuable, nor each other, I suppose. Age's voice interrupted. Thank you, Sifo. That was wonderfully informative. I'm sure everyone would agree. Daniel didn't. There was a brittle edge to her forced jolliness when she concluded, It's time to get things rolling. If you can each take your launch tubes, good hunting. The tube entry hatch was at about waist height. Daniel ducked into it, doing his best to inch upwards, not easy when the tube itself wasn't much more than shoulder width. The tube was at an angle of about 45 degrees to ship's gravity, so it was hard going, not just lifting his own body weight, but the clunky suits too. There was a glowing green button at the top of the tube, the ready confirmation. Carol and the baby. Daniel pressed it. The magnetic field grabbed him and stretched him taut, pulling him up into a hovering position, suspended between the walls of the tube. The suit was fitted with ferrous panels in its lining, partly as protection, mostly to allow for this. Magnetic launching. It was the preferred method for firing missiles, not people. This was reckless. Dangerous. The green light blinked three times, then went dark. The launch end of the tube irised open, then the magnetic ram exploded him into space. The acceleration squeezed his whole body. He wasn't pushed from below, he was pulled upwards and out. The result meant that he didn't snap his ankles from the force, but instead it felt like a dozen torque wrenches smashing him upwards. It hurt. Pummel, dazed and confused, on one level he had to admire the efficiency. The first spacewalk was a tricky proposition for a lot of people, and he'd seen others balk at it. Refuse to leave the ship, no chance of anyone backing out from this and the lack of suit comms meant that he couldn't hear how many of his crewmates were now screaming in terror. The Big Black could have that effect too, often on people you wouldn't expect it from. Daniel took control of his breathing. It was the only sound now, louder because of its isolation, ragged because of the shock. But space was not a place that forgave panic or distraction, so he took a breath, held it, let it go. Then he could get his bearings. He risked a gentle twist of his torso. It imparted a small axial rotation without affecting his trajectory. Difficult to counter once started, but he needed to see what was going on. His crewmates were far less controlled in their flight. Too many flailing limbs had most of them spinning wildly. The impulse from their initial launch should keep them generally on track, but to Daniel's eye, a couple of them had messed up even that. They weren't parallel to his flight, which, over the distance they were being fired, meant risking missing their targets. A controlled burst of O2 could correct it. Their breathable air doubled as their manoeuvring jets, wonderful. But Daniel doubted they had the knack of it, and he had no way to talk them through it. His rotation let him glimpse their target. They had been lied to. He had assumed they had been, but the breadth of the lie only became apparent now. It was no derelict. To the untrained eye, perhaps it looked like one, a huge dark shadow silhouetted against the red gold of the Hengen cloud. No lights. Nothing to show it as inhabited externally. But no sign of damage. What he could make out of the livery looked practically pristine. This ship was new. 
It was a Rayan-class merchantman, a monolithic freight hauler. In its current orientation, it looked like a skyscraper on its side. A nebula web hung from its underside, a complex arrangement of scaffolding and cables that gathered ionized radiation to convert to fuel. Could it be so low on fuel that the crew had turned off the lights? No. It didn't take much to put things together. The freighter was caught in a disruptor field, generated no doubt by the Star Ranger itself. Lights, engines, life support, anything power dependent on the freighter would be out right now, until the field was turned off. It also explained Daniel's low-tech suit. There was no point putting any electronics in a suit that you were planning to fire into a disruptor field. The forced deployment, the lack of comms, the swords. Of course the freighter crew would resist their boarding. We aren't here to stake a claim on salvage with a tip of a spear. The second team that would follow with their specialised salvage gear would arrive in the middle of a fight in progress. They would either mop up the resistance or simply wipe out both sides of the fight. What was the cost of 30 new suits against this hall? Okay, so you've worked it out. What are you going to do about it? Speaking out loud, fogged up his visor. This was a stupid spacesuit. He couldn't go back to the Star Ranger. Even if they would let him on board, which he doubted, there was no way the O2 tank on his back would provide enough propellant to bleed off his velocity, reverse trajectory, and still have enough left he could breathe. He liked breathing. So one way or another, he was going to the freighter. He could just go with the flow, join the raid, kill some innocent freighter crew, maybe. No. No, he couldn't do that. The one thing he had any control over, the only thing, was when he arrived at the freighter. He could slow down, arrive late, in the middle of the fight. He could see no advantage in that. But if he arrived early, perhaps before the freighter crew knew what was going on. Daniel vented O2 and let Newton give him a little delta V. He also pushed himself a little high, enough that he'd hit near an airlock on a different level than originally intended. The freighter filled his view now. Too fast. No surprise. He repositioned the vents and dumped more O2. They'd all had a laughably short time in the simulator to practice this manoeuvre. A blast of propellant to slow their approach enough to latch a tether onto the wreck. What if we miss the tether? A woman with a tattoo covering half her face had asked. Don't, said Sifo. Why if we miss the entire wreck? Asked a rodent of a man called Gun. Then you better hope you got something in your pockets worth us turning around for. Sifo laughed. It was hard to judge distance or speed. This was why suits, normal suits, had sensors. He had no way to know how much was left in the tank, but he didn't think Sifo was the sort to waste good O2. They'd be tanked with enough to make the jump to the freighter and not a whole lot more. Daniel's unauthorized burn might already have spent too much. Too fast. Too fast. No choice but to dump another lump of O2. He opened the taps again, but this time... Nothing happened. The tank was empty. Futile, he twisted the tap again. No, I need... Daniel's breath exploded from his body as he smashed into the hull of the freighter. Desperately, he twisted his neck, tried to hit the side of his helmet, not the faceplate. It must have worked, or the visor was tougher than he expected, because it didn't shatter there and then. Only reflex made him snap out a hand with a tether line. He bounced away from the impact without knowing if he'd connected to anything. 
It was only another hard stop as the line caught that let him know he had. His body ached from the abuse, but he couldn't afford to dwell on it. All he had to breathe now was the O2 in his suit, his own exhalations. Move, Daniel. He pulled in the tether, dragged himself back to the freighter. His left arm was weak, and his neck hurt when he tried to move his head. Not now. Right hand gripping an EVA loop on the freighter, he turned his shoulders, looking for an airlock. There. No time to hand over hand it, he untethered and launched himself towards the lock, holding his breath. The speed this time was much less, his flight more under his own control. He snagged the tether onto a loop next to the lock with professional ease, but the jerk on the line as it caught him forced his breath out again. He took another sip of suit air, notably stale already. No automatic controls for the airlock, thanks to the disruptor field, of course, but even the most security-minded ship designer left manual controls. Daniel flipped open the panel and pumped the lever. As soon as the lock door was open enough, he squeezed through, pulled the hatch shut behind him. Not done yet. Bright flashes burst across his vision as he propelled himself across the airlock. He grabbed the emergency manual lever that released oxygen. Everything looked grey. Dark. It all seemed so... He lifted his right hand, fumbled with his helmet latch. It might be too early. How, how much pressure in the airlock? Didn't matter. He, that was... The latch... Left arm. Wouldn't. Couldn't. He closed his eyes. Focus. Reached across his chest. One. Last. The seal on his helmet cracked. Fresh O2 flooded in. Every muscle complained as Daniel pulled himself towards the inner hatch. His head pounded and his neck still wouldn't turn. But he was alive and breathing again. He shucked out of the stupid death trap of a spacesuit, kicked it into a corner. It drifted out again. The disruption field meant no power for the ship or its artificial gravity. Damn you, he muttered to the world in general. The pressure in the airlock was enough to open the inner hatch, and Daniel wasted no time getting an extra physical barrier between him and the vacuum. The suit room was empty and dark. Two dim emergency lights were low-power or low-tech enough to be unaffected by the disruptor field, so Daniel wasn't in pitch black, but the shadows loomed large all the same. What next? His suicidal burn probably had him a few minutes ahead of his crewmate's assault. There were enough of them, and they would be noisy enough to bring the freighter personnel running. There wouldn't be many defenders. These freighters more or less ran themselves. What happened would depend on how many of Daniel's crewmates survived the trip. If even half of them had made it, which Daniel doubted, but it was possible, they would have the advantage of numbers. Desperation, fear, and swords would give the raiders the edge in a fight. So, should he warn the freighter crew? Help them fight. Daniel couldn't see them being friendlier to him than the rest of the raiders, but he couldn't, wouldn't, join the assault. You don't have to do anything, he told himself. Carol had said the same thing before he'd left to meet the recruiter for the Star Ranger. She was having a hard time with the pregnancy. It had seemed such a romantic ideal, doing it the old biological way back when they'd first found out. A lot can happen in nine months. The shipping company Daniel worked for went bust and took 60% of the outpost employment with it. Carol worked as long as she could, but the docs told her she had to rest. Her job would be waiting for her when she came back, but for now, each week their nest egg dwindled. This is a temporary gig, Daniel had assured her. 
But well paid, it'll bring enough just to tide us over. We're doing okay, Dan, Carol said. You don't have to do anything. But they weren't. And he did. So he'd ignored the warning bells, pushed down his gut instinct, pretended he didn't have the EV experience he had, even if doing so made no sense. Signed on the dotted line when Aja put the contract in front of him, one short haul doing salvage work. Carol had been furious, and right, and supportive in the end. He didn't deserve her. What he deserved in his stupidity and pride, was to be caught in the middle of an attack on an innocent freighter. He did have to do something. He grabbed an emergency kit from the locker, clipped a flashlight to his fatigues. He looked back into the airlock. A sword. You don't need a sword, Daniel. Don't take the sword, he said. But everyone he met from this point on would want to attack him. He wouldn't blame the crew of the freighter if they did, but that didn't mean he shouldn't defend himself. Damn it. He took the belt and scabbard from the suit, wrapped it round his waist, then swam into the ship. Daniel floated along the corridor, holding his left arm stiffly against his body. His light swung wildly on his chest, causing shadows to ebb and flow on the walls. The rain freighters were massive, and most of the mass was cargo, held in vast cargo chambers, usually unpressurised. The main crew area was at the front of the ship, that's where the attack was aimed, and most of the crew would be. Miles of rarely used service corridors and maintenance shafts crisscrossed the rest of the ship. If he kept to them, nobody would notice him, not until the power came back on anyway. Not unless he got really unlu- It came from up this way, said a woman's voice. It echoed down the hall, and Daniel couldn't see the source, but it sounded close. You imagined it, Zendra. There's nobody else down this way today. A different voice. A man this time. Crap. Daniel clicked off his light and pulled himself up the wall, flattened himself against what would be the ceiling in normal circumstances. There was a light up this way, Zendra said, as she swam around the corner. Didn't you see it? There was no light. The power's off. Hence the long swim back and my ongoing battle with nausea. Didn't you take your zero-g meds this morning? We had gravity this morning. The pair drifted by underneath. Even in zero gravity, the mind played tricks on you. People rarely looked up, even when up no longer applied, and they tended to orient themselves to the familiar. Two crew members cut off from the bridge, two less bodies to defend against the raiders. It shifted the odds even further in the raider's favour. He should warn them. Or... He let them pass, waited until the man's grumbling faded into the distance. Once they were far enough away, Daniel pulled himself down the wall, then thrust forward. He needed to reach one end of this corridor section before Zendra and her workmate reached the other. Daniel found the section emergency control and pulled it. Hatches dropped from the ceiling, or... Rather, pneumatic rams pushed the doors to the floor, another safety measure designed to function without power or gravity. Daniel threw himself under the hatch at this end before it closed, hoped that the pair from the crew got themselves trapped by the other hatch as the section sealed off. It clanged into place. That should keep these two out of the raider's way. It would take twenty minutes or more to open the hatch manually, and one way or another it would all be over by then. As solutions went, it was circumstantial, 
He wouldn't be able to repeat it for the rest of the freighter crew, even if he had time to reach them, which he didn't. He was too many hatches away to actually hear things, but by his estimate, the raiders would be hitting the locks about now, and the fight would be starting. If the freighter crew won, Daniel would turn himself in afterwards, suffer the consequences. He'd earned that much. But if, as seemed more likely, the raiders from the Star Ranger were to win. What Daniel needed was some sort of bargaining chip, something in the cargo, perhaps. He swam, no point heading for the crew deck, but there were auxiliary controls in the cargo loading bays. He could access the cargo manifest from there once the power came back on. Daniel had worked with those on freighters of all types, loading and unloading in zero-g at the outpost. He reached the lift shaft and threw himself down. He needed to keep ahead of the power coming back on. If he could be at the AUX controls when the disruptor field dropped, he'd have time to check the cargo's manifest, work out Sifo's target, and try to stop the raiders reaching it first. Ten feet from the bottom of the lift shaft, the lights came back on. It was a short fall to the base, but Daniel had already built up some speed. He did his best to roll with the landing, but it was still a bone-jarring impact. Nothing broke. He'd be one big bruise tomorrow, assuming he lived to see it. But he had to keep moving. Bizarrely, it felt like the impact had improved the mobility in his left arm. A little? Maybe. Power meant the disruptor field was off which meant the main raiding party was on its way. Not the poor schlubs like Daniel who'd been there to draw fire, but Sifo and his other old hands with their specialised salvage equipment. Daniel had the time it took for them to transfer to the freighter, in powered suits, no doubt, and hit the cargo bays themselves. Five minutes? Ten? No more than that. He found a console and pulled out the manifest. Most of the cargo was industrial, ore, grain, all of it bulky. Valuable, very valuable in bulk, but nothing that could be readily transferred to the Star Ranger. What were you after, Sifo? Was it the whole ship? That contradicted the salvage cover story. Maybe just strip things from the freighter infrastructure. That would bring in some profit, but not a whole lot. And if that was the plan, why not just do legitimate salvage? Plenty of operations did. One cargo bin was full of construction equipment, another of luxury air cars. That might be something. But again, the Star Ranger was so much smaller than the freighter. They must be after something valuable that was easy to move. What am I missing? Data! Transmitting data through Hyperwave was still expensive and unreliable. If you had a lot of sensitive, valuable data, transporting it using physical media was still the most dependable method. Daniel brought up the data display. The ship's X-Drive, the secure storage for client data, was almost full. No time to see what was valuable, because if this is what Sifa was after, he wouldn't need to come to the cargo bay for it. Damn it, damn it, damn it! There was no time. There were removable drives in a nearby locker. He plugged the first into the console and set about dumping the data to it. The progress bar creaked along the screen. When Sifo discovered there was no data on the X-Drive, He'd check the access record, see which terminal has accessed it, when, and send raiders straight to Daniel. He needed to hide himself. And the data. The progress bar was only at 18%. Wherever Daniel went inside the ship, the sensors could track him. That left one option. There was an airlock on this level, too. 
Daniel ran to the suit room and pulled a fresh suit from the locker. His left shoulder protested as he stuck his arm into the suit, but he pushed the pain to one side. Likewise, when he dipped his chin in the helmet and his neck spasmed. That was easy to ignore, though, as the helmet visor lit up with suit telemetry. Now this was a real spacesuit. He jogged back to the Orcs' terminal. 93%. 94%. Come on. The suit had two hours of O2, a separate propellant line, magnetic boots, communications, not quite the quality he was used to. He still preferred the Horbuck-class suits at the outpost, but these were much more like it. Daniel tuned the comms to ship system to see if he could pick up any chatter about what was going on, but for now the only thing on it was an automatic emergency distress beacon. So the raiders were on a clock too. 100%. Done. Daniel yanked out the external drive and marched back to the airlock, cycled it. To whichever one of you just emptied the X-drive and is trying to make a break for it through the airlock. Sifo's voice rattled through the ship's comms, breaking into the distress signal. Your duty to your crew and your ship does you credit, but we don't take credit. You better bring it back inside, or when we find you, we'll not just kill you, we'll cut you, slow-like. Daniel knew he should keep quiet. Sorry, Sifa, no can do. Feel free to help yourself to a few pockets full of grain before you go, but if you hurt me or any of the crew, it's the only thing you're taking from this ship. Ah, Sifo, is it? You're not one of their crew, are you? You're one of ours. One of the green dogs. Well, ain't that a thing? The outer hatch opened, and Daniel swung out onto the hull of the freighter. For the record, I quit. That's fair enough. I'll see to your severance, personally. Daniel stood on the underside of the freighter. He kept low to avoid being spotted from the Star Ranger, worked his way along the hull, external drive hanging from his left hand, the sword in his right. There were equipment compartments on the outside of the freighter, dozens of them, if you knew what to look for. He checked the code number on one of them, slipped the external drive inside. Without knowing which one the drive was in, it would take Sifo hours to find it, and Daniel doubted he wanted to stay that long. Daniel fired a burst of propellant gas to get some distance from the hiding place, now to put himself somewhere safer. The freighter's nebula web stretched above him, sparking occasionally with power as it gathered ambient radiation for the ship's power cells. Up there, perhaps? He could get lost amongst the cables and scaffolding, a burst of propellant, Daniel reached out, caught himself awkwardly, then hugged the web's main mast for stability. We're coming for you, green dog. Sifo's voice rattled in his helmet. The background was different, though. He was on suit comms as well. You may think you know what you're doing. You survived your first raid and all, but we're very particular who we use on our assault squad, and you ain't got the skills to survive out there. Sorry to disappoint but you may want to review your vetting process. I'm quite fine out here, thanks. Is that so? Three figures emerged from the same airlock Daniel had used. The middle figure gestured, and the other two split up to search. Quite the view, ain't it, Green Dark? Engine Cloud's been a favourite hunting ground of ours for the longest time. Something about the cloud makes the disruptor feel even stronger. You see my problem, don't you, Green Dark? Your little ruse may have made this job a scrub. It's true. Well done. We'll go with the date of a preference, 
but without if I have to. But I can't let you live. It's a precedent thing. You understand, I'm sure. I get that, Daniel said. The figure down by the airlock looked up into the nebula web. I see you. There was a plume of propellant from behind Sifo, and he hurtled away from the hull and towards Daniel. He drew his sword as he flew. Daniel braced against the upright, wrapped his left arm against it, planted his magnetic boots, and held the sword across his body. He met the charge, Sifo's sword striking against his. The shock ran silently up Daniel's arm. Sifo twisted his wrist, applied pressure, and somehow Daniel lost his grip on his sword. The raider followed up with a wide slice, but his momentum had carried him out of reach. He angled his body, fired another burst of propellant to bring him back into range. Daniel threw himself from the scaffolding after his sword, caught up to it, twisted as Sifo aimed another cut at Daniel's boots. Daniel flexed, adding spin to his flight. It was enough to confound Sifo's next two swipes, and Daniel's momentum took him up and out of reach again. He feathered his control and drifted back to the web on a higher spur than Sifo. Stand still, damn you, Sifo growled over comms. I'm not sure I see what's in that for me. The raider burned more propellant, but didn't fly directly towards Daniel this time. Instead, he landed heavily on the same spar, then advanced, his own magnetic boots keeping him stable. Daniel danced back, sword held defensively between them. You're wasteful with your propellant, he said, if you don't mind a little feedback. If you're hoping I run out, I have a bigger tank than you, Green Dog. Sifo grunted and lunged. Daniel somersaulted over the blade, a puff of propellant, to keep him safely distant. He landed on the next spar up. Oh, I know, I've used both these models of suits before. I prefer this one. Lighter, faster, it's a nicer colour too. Stand still, Sifo shouted again, jets blazing. It was all Daniel could do to put his sword in the way. Even so, the tip of Sifo's blade struck square in the centre of Daniel's visor. The faceplate didn't crack, but as Sifo twisted away, he had left a visible scratch in the middle of Daniel's field of view. Almost had you that time. A new voice cut into the comm channel. Uh, Freda Vetehinen, this is the Galactic Control Unit 04400. Uh, we have heard your distress call and are en route. Moments later, other suited raiders propelled themselves away from the freighter back towards the Star Ranger. Time's running out, Daniel said. Looks like you're on your own. Plenty of time to finish you. I mean, you say that. Daniel bobbed away out of reach. I was worried about trying to find a way to beat you. Now I just have to stay out of your way and wait. Sifo roared into the comms and launched forward again. Daniel threw his sword at him and Sifo batted it away contemptuously. That was all the opening Daniel hoped for, though. He fired his own jets, reaching out his now empty hand. He closed it around the exposed propellant line on Sifo's suit. The other reason he didn't like that model. Daniel heaved. They exploded apart, the uncontrolled release of propellant spinning them both away from the web and into the black. Daniel fought the spin, firing microbursts of his own jets, slowing, getting his rotation under control. Once that was mastered, it was a simple case to drift back to the freighter, catching the very top of the nebula web. He steadied himself on the top spar. The Star Ranger moved off. Daniel watched Sifo spiral away, his propellant spent, his spin uncontrollable. 
an unpowered suit, lost in the black. Hey, Sifo, he said over the comp. I hope you've got something in your pockets worth them turning around for. And there we go. Another story, another podcast. We are rapidly approaching the end once more. Uh, thank you very much uh, for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed that story, Boarding School. As I say, uh, Tales from the Pirate's Cove, and it is, pi- I know I keep saying Pirate Cove earlier, but it is Tales from the Pirate's Cove, is available on Amazon right now, or pre-order right now, uh, on Kindle version, and come August 14th, it will also be available to buy in paperback form as well. Keep an eye out for that. I'll put a link in the description of this podcast as well, uh, if that helps. Uh, and then two weeks after that, remember, uh, looking forward to the Ascension Machine coming out. I really, really hope you guys uh, enjoy that. Uh, next month, so around the time I would suggest maybe uh, of the Ascension Machine's launch, uh, I might just have something uh, related uh, to read to you in my podcast. So looking forward to that, and I will see you in about a month's time to help uh, promote essential machine so that's why i will definitely be here for next month as well all right thank you very much for listening hope you enjoyed that and i will catch you next time cheers